But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? When I was in preaching school, they taught us that we shouldn't just exegete God's word. That means study and lead the meaning out of God's word, but we should also exegete our audience. That means you should look at and think about the people that you're preaching to and what's on their minds and what's going going on in their lives. I recognize tonight that a bunch of you spent the weekend out at camp uh, out in Columbus and that you're bleary eyed. I can see you already wanting to doze off. I know that other concerns like are the Astros going to make it one more game and things like that are on people's minds. So with those kinds of things, oh, and by the way, I know younger kids are probably excited about candy for whatever reason. And so with all those things in people's minds, this evening's lesson is going to be a brief lesson. Um, I also recognize that we just got out of a multi-week study of the Holy Spirit, and it was kind of a, a heavy series of lessons. And so, again, exegete the audience. Pay attention to what's on people's minds. Hope you won't mind that that's what we're doing this evening. If you have your Bible, open it up to James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. A wise man once told me that your words are like bullets coming out of a gun. Think about that illustration. Your words are like bullets coming out of a gun. And those bullets can be used for great good, but those bullets can also cause great harm, great damage. Another wise man coined this expression. He said, if of others you're tempted to speak, five things observe with care. Of whom you speak, to whom you speak, and how and when and where. The God of heaven wants you to be careful with your words. And a lot of us, if we're not careful, can become verbal assassins. We point our words at somebody and we let fly. We say exactly what's on our mind. We tell people out of their presence what we think about them. We criticize, we complain, we slander, we gossip. We say all kinds of ungodly things. And James in his very practical epistle in James chapter four, verses 11 and 12 writes this. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. That word speak evil is one Greek word and it means to speak against, to say something against. And notice that this passage is addressed to brothers. He's talking to the church. It's bad when someone who is a a, a apart from Christ, who is lost in the world, it's bad when somebody has a gossip type of slanderous type of speech. It's bad when that's what they engage in. It's that much worse when it's a brother in Christ that's doing this. And it's very possible for us, it's very easy for us to become verbal assassins. Do not speak evil against one another. He goes on to say, he who speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. We're more about that in just a moment. But if you judge the law, then you're not a doer of the law, which is what James is all about, being a doer of God's word, James 1.22. You're not doing that. You're rather a judge, but there's only one lawgiver and judge, and it's not you. 
one who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? A, a word briefly about judgment. God tells us there are some things we're supposed to judge. We're supposed to judge righteous judgment. We're supposed to discern between truth and error. We're supposed to test the spirits to see whether they're of God. First John chapter four, verses one through six. We're supposed to prove all things and hold fast that which is good. First Thessalonians five, verse 21. But there's another kind of judgment that has to do with condemnation, has to do with tearing down. And here's the difference. When we must offer criticism of someone or something, when we must offer a rebuke of someone or something, we need to ask this question. Is what I'm about to say intended to build up or to tear down? Your words are like bullets. They're powerful. They're incredibly damaging when they're spoken out of a desire to tear someone down. God says, this is not conduct that's becoming of my people. Back in Romans, there's a catalog of sins at the end of Romans chapter one. And I want you to notice that in verse 30, the Bible puts slanderers, that's what we're talking about tonight, someone who would speak evil of another, slanderers is put right next to haters of God. How does God feel about slander? How does he feel about gossip? How does he feel about speaking evil of other people? God puts that sin right next to being a hater of the God that we serve. We must not, as the people of God, we must not be involved in spreading rumors. We must not be involved in exposing the faults and the wrongs of others in order to tear them down. We must not be involved in rejoicing when we see someone fall into sin. We must not be involved in rejoicing when someone's weaknesses are being exposed. We must, as the people of God, be kind. And if you can't be kind, then don't say anything. Remain silent. It's better to remain silent than it is to say something out of your mouth that is going to cause damage and going to tear down a brother or sister in Christ. God intends for us to use our mouths, to use our words, to bless and not to curse. By the way, if you're taking notes, here are a couple of passages for your study this week. Ephesians 4 verse 29. Ephesians 4 verse 29. Just jot these references down. Ephesians 4 29 reminds us to let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but rather what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. We are to speak with grace on our lips. And then the second passage I want you to jot down is Colossians 4, verse 6. Colossians 4, verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. God tells us how to speak. He says, speak graciously, speak with kindness, speak with wisdom, speak in a way that blesses other people. And if you can't speak that way, be quiet. That's God's word. And he puts slanderers next to haters of God. As you're looking at James 4, 11 and 12 in your Bible tonight, I want to just show you this. There are two reasons in this passage why it's wrong to be a verbal assassin. Two reasons why it's wrong. God's argument, God's logic, not mine. Argument number one is this. When you become a verbal assassin, when you decide that you're going to tear somebody else down, when you're, you decide that you're going to slander and gossip and spread rumors, when that's what you do, you break God's law. Now, look at James 4.11 again and watch the argument that's being made here. It's kind of tough to follow if you're not paying attention. He says, number one, don't speak evil of one another, brothers. You're, you're slandering one another. You're doing this. You're speaking evil. 
But then, number two in the argument, God said to love your brother. He's already covered that in James chapter two, verse eight. If you fulfill the royal law, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well in James two, verse eight. God had always said that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. All the way back in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, God commands us to love one another, but you're slandering your brethren, he says. You therefore, listen, are acting as if what God says doesn't matter. You're acting as if what God says about loving your brother, as if that doesn't matter. It's kind of like, I don't know about you, but I sometimes get a little bit annoyed by school zones. There are a million of them here in Katy, school zones. And when it's the hours in which the school zone is in operation, I mean, the hours go on for like two and three hours at a time. What's, what's going on that this school has got people coming and going? I don't know why they're that way, but I know this. I know that sometimes people decide as they're going through a school zone, you know what, this law about me having to go 20 miles an hour, this is stupid. This is a stupid law. This law doesn't apply to me. And I see people flying by in the school zones all the time, don't you? What James is saying is, if you decide you're gonna become a verbal assassin and you're gonna slander your brother, you are saying, God's law, this law about loving my neighbor doesn't matter. It's a stupid law. And in this particular circumstance, I'm justified. It's okay for me to break God's law. It's okay for me to say what I'm about to say about somebody else. God's law doesn't apply to me. And that's the sense in which James is arguing. You have judged the law. You're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. That's the sense in which you've become a judge of God's law. I'm looking at the Bible, I'm looking at what God says, and I'm deciding, like a cafeteria, which laws I'm going to obey and which ones I'm not. That's what he's arguing in James 4.11. If you think that slander is okay, if you think that gossip is okay, if you think that tearing someone down is fine, then you have just taken God's law and you've said, well, for me, in this circumstance, that law doesn't apply. That law doesn't matter. And instead of doing God's law, you're judging God's law. You're saying some laws are more important than others. It's important for me to be a part of the church. It's important for me to worship God in spirit and in truth. It's important for me to, to love Jesus Christ and to pray. But it's not important for me to speak kindly and to speak graciously about others. Second argument that James makes You break God's law when you slander, when you gossip, when you speak evil of one another. Second argument is you usurp God's authority. Look again, the latter part of verse 11 and verse 12. You're usurping God's authority. He says there is one lawgiver and judge and you're not him. You are not God. When you criticize someone else, when you pronounce judgment, you are, in James's thinking, you are playing as if you're God. I know what that person is thinking. I know their motives. I know why they're doing what they're doing. And you're saying things that only God has the right to say. You are sitting in the judgment seat on someone else. Again, this passage does not forbid us to offer criticism in a kind and a loving way. This is not saying that we should never confront someone. This passage is saying that a lot of people spend a lot of time saying things that are intended to harm and to tear down. And that's not becoming of a Christian. Think about this. 
there is only one individual who can pass judgment on actions and motives. You ever seen somebody do something and you come to realize later on as, as further information comes to light, you know what, I completely misread. I completely misunderstood. I thought, you were, I thought you were motivated by X, but instead I found out you're motivated by something completely different. God sees all of that. He sees our actions and he sees our motives. And when God judges us, he judges us without fault. He never makes a mistake. He judges without hypocrisy. He's not guilty of the things that he is saying that we're guilty of. And he judges without spite. He's not just trying to get one up on us. He's not just trying to, to make us look bad so that he looks good. When God judges, he judges righteously. When you and I criticize someone else, when we tear someone else down in an ungodly way, we have become a verbal assassin and we are usurping God's authority. It belongs to God. The question we ought to ask in all of our lives, especially where our speech is concerned is, Who's going to be God today? Am I going to let God be God? Am I going to let him judge the motives and actions of the people around me? Or am I going to climb up into the judgment seat? And am I going to be the one that thinks I need to point out what's going on in other people's lives, tearing them down? When we speak, there are three considerations that every one of us ought to pay attention to. Say nothing about others, brothers and sisters, that you wouldn't want them to say about you. Matthew 7, 12, it's the golden rule. Whatever you'd have men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Say nothing about others that you wouldn't want them to say about you. Then secondly, a consideration, say nothing about others that you wouldn't say in their presence. I find that's a really helpful idea. If I need to say something that may be negative about someone else. If I need to say something, I ask myself the question sometimes, would I say this if they were present? Would I be saying these things if they were sitting right next to me as I was, as I was sharing this? Say nothing about others that you wouldn't say in their presence. It's about building up, not tearing down. Say nothing about others that you wouldn't want Jesus to hear because he hears it all. He's the one that said in Matthew 12, 36, that for every idle word that men may speak, we will give an account of it in judgment. For every idle word, we're going to give an answer. God is listening to how we speak. He's listening to what you say about other people. He's listening on a daily basis to the things that we're, that we're saying about others that are coming out of our mouths. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 19, verse 14, one of the great prayers of the Bible, you know what he said in Psalm 19, 14? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God's people speak with grace. And if you say that you've never been a verbal assassin, you're lying to yourself and you're trying to lie to others as well. All of us have done this. All of us need to repent. And all of us need to ask God for help that our words might be pleasing to him and that they might build up the people around us. Don't be a verbal assassin. The Bible has nothing, nothing, nothing good to say about people who speak evil of one another. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ because you need the cleansing and the forgiveness that only comes through Jesus Christ and his cross.
Believe on Jesus Christ. Confess that he is the son of God. Repent of your sin. Be baptized in water for the remission of sin. That's how someone who is outside of Christ becomes a New Testament Christian. If you're ready to make that commitment this evening, if you'd like to respond and ask for prayers, whatever your need is, once you make your way down the aisle, while together we stand and while we sing.